Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Here we are! Good evening and happy Saturday. It is time for all the things. I don't know what I was going to say. That's all right. I'm Monique Dusan. It's only the same every week. Every I'm, week. I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And this is the show where we talk about all things related to God, life, and the Bible. And helping us tonight on the show, we are live, by the way. Yes. Uh, is Bob Bontrager this week and every week. There he is. Woohoo! Professional now, button pusher. We haven't been here in a couple weeks. I know. We, we had we last week traveling. We were dark. And the week yeah. before that, it was pre-recorded. It was pre-recorded. It's good to be back, family. We are live. Yes. So, uh, and we want to invite you to join our chat, uh, join the conversation, go on YouTube, Facebook, uh, and check in. Let us know that you're watching and where you're watching from. We see Jennifer, Laura's watching, Candy's watching. So... Glad to see everyone here. Yes. And now tonight's moderators. Yes. We have allegedly. Oh, you they, know. That, I don't know if they've shown up yet. I saw Laura. <laughs> uh, Caleb Harrelson from Engage Truth is yes. supposed to hop on. And Rachel Shockey, the president of Women in Apologetics. That's right. And this is the part of the show where we invite you for audience participation. Like the show, smash that thumbs up button. Uh, comment and share the show. Our analytics are down 50% in the last four weeks. Um, and <laughs> we are definitely on Facebook's radar. So please, please, please help us by sharing the show and helping to get the word out about things. So awesome. All right. Now, yes. our show sponsor. Yes. One of them. We'll talk about the other one later on in All the show. Right. It's Family 210 Clothing. There's our design of the week. Love never gives up. I think maybe Bob's inspiration was that after you and I had a big fight about race. Oh, that could be true. I think I remember <laughs> something about that. <laughs> so he yeah. made us a shirt. I don't know. Love never that, gives up. That might be apocryphal, but it's a good story. It is. It could be, you know, something worse. Yeah. Hashtag keep them quiet. <laughs> so Hashtag they work in my nerve. <laughs> so go visit you know? our shop. On Teespring, look for Family 210 Clothing. Lots of designs there. I did a design today. Bob's going to get it up this week. Awesome. So my first design. Yes. Look so at $5 of every purchase goes directly to help our family. You know, it was fun. Last week we were in Phoenix and a woman comes up to me. She says, I have five of your shirts. Yes. It was my friend Brianna. Oh, was it? Yes. <laughs> Yes, like, yes. Wow. Send us pictures, Brianna. We want to see the shirts. She's awesome. We actually got to go to um, dinner with That's her. That's right. That after. was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a big announcement. What is it? <laughs> it just it's right here on the cue sheets. Oh. <laughs> well, it's been a long time coming. And when I say a long time, probably only like six months, nine months. <laughs> but... The Center for Biblical Unity is releasing our first curriculum and it's called Reconciled. I'm so excited. We couldn't have made it or done it without you, of course, but we definitely are excited to get this into everyone's hands. We're going to focus on 
the the church unified and how do we walk in unity with one another as brothers and sisters is it really about racial reconciliation and a bunch of works or do we you know start from a declared scriptural place that says we are unified and if we are unified then what does that mean to live in unity with one another so i am super excited pre-orders are already open and available you can find out more about or you can actually pre-sell by going through our website center for biblical unity.com and backslash reconciled yeah but backslash reconciled and it's see i was gonna lead them astray sorry <laughs> and pre-order we have um an individual pack we have licenses for packs. small groups yes. up to 10 people and then a license for 10, 10. people or more yes so pre-order it will drop at the end of july or sooner we're aiming for sooner yeah we're, we're, we're hopeful but we have all of the teaching videos recorded bob's working on editing those uh the it's in design uh our designer has the interior now so we're making some headway uh, we are. on this. It's real. We it's a are. real thing. It is. You're buying a real thing. Yes. It's, it's not just an idea. And when you pre-order, you'll actually receive the cover along with the foreword that was written by Dr. J.P. Moreland. Yeah. And so we are hoping that you'll use these tools to share them with friends and family to start thinking and praying about who you want to invite into a small group. Uh, discussion or maybe to present it to your pastor, maybe for a church uh, class. So we're giving you some tools ahead of time, but we want to invite you to start thinking, praying about who you will invite to do the study with you. So let's go out and see who's checking in on YouTube. So Tracy Guest says hi. Hello. Oklahoma's in the house. Read Journal Love. Lisa's uh, checking out our shirts. Caleb said I made it. Won't he do it, Caleb? <laughs> yes, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Amanda from Asheville, North Carolina, using my son's YouTube profile. Jay Money. Jay Money. <laughs> there it is. Miss Eula's here. All right. All right. Yes. On Facebook. We got some more check-ins. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now. You want to set up the show for today? Oh, sure. So um, we are going to be talking to Ann Polk, who is the executive director for the Restored Hope Network. And we're going to have a conversation about the Equality Act. Now, I know that many of you have been writing into the ministry, wondering what is the Equality Act? You're hearing about it out there and you're wondering what is it really? You know, what are the rumors? What are the fake news? What's the real news? So um, we invited Ann Polk. I think we might have made a new friend. Yes. <laughs> uh, from the Restored Hope Network and um, going to be talking to us about this. Now, where it stands right now is that the Equality Act has passed the House. Yes. It is in the Senate. Mm -hmm. Biden has has said that he will sign it. So where we are right now is they're looking for those senate votes mm -hmm. to see if they can get it to pass now it's looking like as of right now they don't have enough votes for it um but we will see yeah. and and things can always shift there could be midterm elections but this is not an issue that's going to be going away no not anytime at all. soon so even if it doesn't pass this year 
Keep your eyes out Keep, because they yeah. will bring it back. Yeah. So this is a pre-recorded interview. So we're going to play the first few minutes here with Ann Polk. And then we're going to come back live. So go ahead and keep chatting. We're going to chat with you um, online. You can still ask your questions. Monique and I will come back and interact with you about halfway through the interview. And then we'll go out to part two. So Sounds good. here it is, our conversation with Ann Polk. Okay, so we're excited to talk with Ann Polk from the Restored Hope Network. Let's yes. get her on and awesome. get to know her a little bit. Hello, Ann. Hello. Hello. Hi, great to see you. Great to see you. Maybe uh, for those of you, those of our viewers that you're new to them, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and ministry, what's your ministry about and who you're trying to reach. Sure. Restored Hope Network is a coalition that um, was established in 2012, and it came about because we saw the uh, direction that Exodus International was heading North America under the leadership of the of the uh, final leader of that organization. He was going towards gay Christianity and so later declared that some gay relationships can be holy. And we saw this coming and we started a new network of biblically faithful um, sexually, sexual ethics and relational ethics coalition of ministries across the US. So the majority of the members who founded Exodus International joined and helped to create Restored Hope Network. So we're a coalition. Uh, Restored Hope is the umbrella organization for a coalition of ministries, pastors, and counselors across the U.S. Um, we have relationships with many people around the world and happy to give referrals out to those seeking help to leave homosexuality, transgenderism, or live in a biblically faithful way in their singleness or in married life uh, before the Lord. Very good. And we want to, we have your website here where's the website yeah we're gonna put that up on the screen so people could get resourced at restoredhopenetwork.org and find out who all is connected with you and that's a great ministry and uh, i want to make sure people stay tuned all the way to the end of the interview because we're going to talk about uh their conference uh, yes. that's coming uh later this year that'll be a great resource for people as well now you had a editorial or an opinion in over at the stream on the equality act and so if people want to get connected to that i think we've got that graphic here of sort of summary of what we're going to talk today about the equality act uh people can find that there we'll include that in the show notes maybe let's just start with some basics yeah can you tell us what is the equality act well the equality act is an attempt to provide federal civil rights protections to people who identify as LGBTQ. So it's uh, embedding uh, in the Civil Rights Act, um, sexual identity and gender identity, sexual orientation and gender identity into the Civil Rights Act to make that a federally applicable um, protection. Just like, um, Racism, a person could then be called transphobic and actually have law behind that to uh, cause a situation um, where they could have criminal impact or loss of business opportunity and that kind of thing. If you simply disagree with the ideology that's in transgender uh, philosophy. And so it's impacting so many different areas right now that many people outside of Christianity have been speaking up against it. Um, a professor in Rhode Island, um, who's an endowed chair 
of women's studies and gender studies uh, spoke out against the Equality Act because she sees the potential in the future of it uh, enforcing this pathway for youth heading directly towards surgical interventions in their lives. So there's been a huge 2000% uh, increase in the entire nation of the UK uh, of girls seeking gender transition. For me, I'm, it was new information that it amends the Civil Rights Act. And so maybe you can tell us, like, what would the implication be for amending the Civil Rights Act? Well, expanding the term sex to include sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, but not only that, but actually um, medical interventions, pregnancy, childbirth, and other medically related um, topics uh, is in point four of the fourth section of the bill. Not only that, but it actually says that RIFRA or Religious Freedom Restoration Act that tried to put more body into the First Amendment in practical application in law would be um, put aside. So the balancing of rights would be removed and it would simply be, you have violated the civil rights law if you do not give such and such practice to a, a particular person. Let's take one example that's happened recently. Um, in the case of, uh, this is interesting actually, it's actually out of the UK that this um, article came through, but um, there's a situation in the UK where um, women being told they were being transphobic if they're not willing to date a man who identifies as a woman. Literally, women talk about meeting transbians on women-only dating sites. So they're actually, they're not even allowed to be dating biological women as a definition of lesbianism, which is fascinating and a, an unusual outcome. And that would happen in the US. Um, if somebody claims to be a woman, they would be then give, given the expectation that they are indeed a woman. And if you disagree with that, then you would be transphobic or bigoted and be treated as a racist. So um, what are some of the common implications in the US currently? Um, California passed a bill last year and was signed by the governor that if a man feels like he's a woman, he can be admitted to a women's prison. Here, what could go wrong with this? You know, one guy in a bunk uh, room overnight with six girls, you know, this is a problem. And yet what would happen, but the, actually they mentioned prisons and accommodations being very broad in the Equality Act. So this would now become policy for the entire United States, not just California, which sometimes goes off the rails. I lived in California, so I can now, now as California residents, we have to. I love California. I do. I grew up partly in California, so Northern Cal. I went to UC Santa Barbara. Okay. So part of what you're saying reminds me of what I read in Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, where all of these things are just connected. So if I am, you know, a, a bigot because I don't like someone's color of their skin, then I'm going to be like a racist. I'll, I'll, if I say something that makes me a racist, but if I don't also participate in promoting the transgender acts or um, things that are associated with LGBTQ plus, 
and all the way down the line into the many different studies or theories, then I am participating in some form of racism. It now brings these issues to the forefront as being racial issues or some kind of other ism. And so I completely understand what you're saying when it's like they're all now tied together and I am now like a homophobic racist or, you know, something like that. So if we're going right. to be advancing anti-racism as an agenda, this what the Equality Act is proposing just falls right in line with that. And that's why to me it has to be a civil rights matter. Because the civil rights matter came along, you know, in in racial words or racial terms and categories. And so now, especially when you look at Ibram Kendi, who's like one of the the founders or like leading, leading voices. voices yeah. yeah. One of the leading voices in the movement of being anti-racist. People don't understand. And we've received pushback even, you know, just a couple weeks ago where that where they say it's not fair to look at, you know, anti-racism in conjunction with transphobia or the movement of, you know, LGBTQ+, but it's one in the same. It's it's one connected movement and people don't understand. Yeah, and so when we talk about that, it's critical theory we always talk about is like the big broad umbrella critical race theory addresses race issues, but queer theory is another branch of critical theory and and the Equality Act does seem to be just trying to put a legal process in place that follows right into the Civil Rights Act. So it's an interesting, interesting development. I'm wondering from your perspective, Anne, are there any good aspects to the Equality Act? Like, are there any basic human rights or human dignity that that Christians um, could support that don't contradict a biblically faithful view of sexuality that maybe some Christians could actually get behind. You know, I think when we base rights on identity, that's the problem. (laughs) That's where things come in. And so there's very little in my mind in this bill that is um, something I could get behind. Um, The what I can agree with is that individuals made in the image of God whether what regardless of how they identify themselves are still precious and deserve dignity what does that mean exactly should it be based upon what we see in error of identi- identifying with a, a gender a biology that is not given to them where 99 point something of their cells identify their body as being male or female the xy chromosomes DNA markers are in every cell of the body, except for very minute ones like fingernails. I forget exactly which cellular uh, portion of the body doesn't have that marker, but it's very little. Um, And so we are actually being asked to lie about biological truth uh, reality that also uh, goes along with biblical reality. So, that is that's problematic and so this bill would enforce that would would put in place disagreement being racist or homophobic or transphobic and um it's intended to shut down dialogue it is not intended to uh, raise the dignity levels of the individuals we're talking about and i i really appreciate the nashville statement for example which talked about what People are precious. They are indeed. From a Christian viewpoint, looking at life through the lens of the the scripture, 
the Lord doesn't wish anyone to perish. He, he, he created every single one of us. Psalm 139 talks about how we were knit together in our mother's wombs. I mean, it is magnificent uh, that we were created in the very image of God. And so we have a very high value. Um, Jesus didn't come to die for any of the angels. He came to die for human beings and give us opportunity to know him. And so at the price of his own blood, which is higher than any other thing that we could even conceive of, um, he, he said that we were worth that much. And uh, that's regardless of yet being redeemed and the hope that we would be redeemed to his plan and his image. The, the better um, understanding of that, the more complete uh, beauty and respect that comes alongside of walking in the image of God as male and female. But it is carved within the very beginning of scripture and the imagery of marriage and male and female in particular is also at the end of scripture with the wedding supper of the lamb. And yeah, that's, so that's it's such deeply an important, significant. Yeah, that's such an important point because what we see at the very foundation of creation in Genesis 1 it is a it does seem to be a fairly binary situation of of male and female and being created in his image and that is foundational and even though we live in a genesis 3 world under the fall um that image of god is still present within us it's corrupted it's been marred but it is still there and it's still important and and worth honoring so i think the you know, we want to have, you know, compassion for people. I, I guess the way I think about the trans issue and, and I'd love to, you know, like if you disagree with me, that's fine. But I'd love to hear that. I mean, I think the way I think about it is that for trans people, you know, it seems that something jumps out of alignment between their their physical biology and their their mind, you know, their soul, you know, the immaterial part of them, something comes out of alignment. And so kind of the historic Christian way of bringing these things back into alignment is by working on the soul, that we do things to help the soul come into alignment with God's created design of our bodies. But what the trans movement wants to do is try to alter the body the physical part to come into alignment with the soul. The problem is, is as you said, all of those XY chromosomes, they're present in every cell of our body. It, it, what we can do there is very limited and it's only superficial. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts about, about well, kind of I, my I approach would, to I that? I would agree with you. I would agree with you. And I think the science backs it up as well. It's not just theology, but practical theology. I mean, our bodies testify to something much greater than ourselves. Um, and I love that about, say, Christopher West, who's a Catholic um, communicator, who brought John Paul II's theology of the body to more of a common ground for people to understand. Um, less intellectual, more uh, understandable. So I think the reality, the fact is, is that we are created beings. Science is the study of what is, and it, it gets into some great detail. And so is it, it, the development of a fetus, of a baby in womb, in utero, is so uh, predictable that they have entire uh, biological uh, study departments on that topic, right? So 
cellular biology, development of a new human being, et cetera. I mean, all of this points back to the fact that we're sexed beings. We, we have a body that identifies itself as male or female, and it's defined so as not just with the body parts, but a whole bunch more, yet it's oriented towards either providing the male aspect of sperm or the female aspect of ova, so, and all the parts that go along with that. So egg and sperm coming together, of course, form a new human being. The irony of all of this, the philosophies of our day and the trans movement philosophies are when they did the research of uh, DNA studies and markers with the 23andMe and the various other um, uh, DNA uh, heritage um, studies. And they're looking at that. Well, they took 500,000 people who identified as LGBTQ or LGB, I believe it was, and, um, and looked for genetic commonalities in their DNA. What they found were some interesting things. They had about 12 different aspects that were unique compared to the rest of the population. One was male baldness tended to be higher amongst the gay men, which is interesting, but doesn't prove that there's a gay gene, right? Um, another one was uh, in the report, the scientists the craziness of the, the separation of gender from our biology ends up with this conclusion from MIT and other Ivy League schools who did the research. They said, gay and lesbians tend to have smaller families and less children. I wonder why we don't understand this could be, we need more research on that topic. I'm thinking, huh, okay. You need more research on the fact that two men don't, aren't able to make a baby because they both have sperm. Two women cannot make a baby together because they both have eggs. They do not have the sperm. Um, what are we missing here? And obviously these people aren't trying to avoid um, biological reality. They're falling prey to the politically correct movement that says if you point something out and you acknowledge it, then you're being racist or homophobic. And yet it's just a biological reality. So I think what we're doing here is if we weaponize discussion, that kind of truth will fall by the wayside because people will not be allowed to talk about it or they will come under fire from the, from the you know, Civil Rights Act of 1964 that's been amended to say you can't disagree with us or you're a racist, a homophobic, bigoted person or transphobe. And all of those are recently constructed words. People who disagree are not afraid of somebody who's gay or, or transsexual. I'm not afraid, but I can disagree and have a great debate with them over the reality of things that are scientifically true mm -hmm. and that are theologically true. And that doesn't mean I hate or despise or are afraid of somebody. Um, simple disagreement, though, will be thrown into that um, that box and we'll all be put in that and it will impact everything. If you can't say somebody's actually a female or male, you're forced to lie and that becomes corrupting to all of culture actually. Okay, we back live. We are back live. That was our, our first half. We're going to do it in two sections, two yes. segments. Now, we've had quite a bit of conversation in the chat on YouTube about rights. And I think Caleb from Engage Truth brings up a very good question. He says, 
Um, so much can wait. Let me it see. Seems, I'm sorry. It seems that there needs to be clarity in our nation on what a right is and what it is not. Yeah. And I know you've done a lot of thinking about, hey, what is a right? What is not? How do we define rights versus like a, you know, privilege or yeah. I don't like a, I don't know, right and privilege kind well, of get mixed up. But can you like help us thread a little bit of that through? Just a little bit. You know, I'm not an attorney or anything, but I mean, the the idea of rights in our founding documents as Americans is it uh, says in, I think it's in the preamble of the constitution. Sometimes I get the declaration of independence and the preamble to the constitution mixed up, but it says that we are, um, you know, we have inalienable rights and among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. And the idea of this and the worldview of our founders, and I, I did a live stream on this um, back in early January of the, it's called a One Nation Under God, if people want to go catch that. I really, in part one of that series, really unpack this quite a bit. But the idea of rights in our founding documents comes from the creator. Um, there was now, I don't want people to think that I'm saying that all of the founders of our country were evangelical Christians. They, they were not, but broadly speaking, major features of the Christian worldview functioned underneath as one of the key influences of the framework of our government and our ideas about liberty and justice came from um, the Bible and, mm-hmm. and the Christian worldview. So, but there were other influences influences as well. John Locke is, is a critical influence on the founders too. So I'm not in any way saying that the Bible is the only influence, yeah. but the idea of rights in, in their perspective as the founders and as reflected in our founding documents seems to come from the creator that the creator exists and that because of how he has set up the created order these are our rights as human persons as individuals now one of the more unfortunate part of our founding documents is that although thankfully they had the wording of all humans being created um you know that they unfortunately didn't extend those rights mm-hmm. to to everybody yeah. and so we are in our history part of one of the major themes of our history as a country is living up to those ideals mm-hmm. uh, and and genuinely extending those rights to everybody but um it's it's an interesting issue because now we're kind of switching as a country into an idea that rights come from the government and the the government tells me what I can and cannot do. That's very different than how the founding documents lay it out. There are rights come from the creator. So the idea here is that if a right comes from a creator, it can't be taken away by the government. But if the government gives me a right, it can be taken, it can away. Be taken away. So that's a big conversation right now that's happening in our culture is what is a right mm-hmm. and and where do they come from and you know biblically speaking like you know a big question a few years ago before the supreme court i think is 
you know, what is marriage equality? And do we have the right to redefine marriage in a different way than has historically been conceived? So it's a very, Caleb, it is a very important question. Um, Wow. There's a lot to, to thread out and it does come down to worldview. Yeah. You know, what is, what is your worldview? How do you define, you know, how do you define, I guess, not just rights, but like what people should be allowed to do? Yeah. And I think that when we were in a position as a church in sharing broad features of our worldview and our value system with the wider culture, that wasn't as big of a problem. There was a lot of overlap. Yeah. But now in the last 20 or so years, as we as a church and our value system and our worldview is becoming more and more separated and distinct from the worldview and the value system of the culture. Now we're kind of living in an area of, of, of history where we are kind of this, this whole subculture or parallel culture. And, and I think the equality act really highlights that, Mm -hmm. that now we are going to, even more so like if you want to look like a like a have an alternative lifestyle get married Mm -hmm. stay married have children with the same person (laughs) um you know understand the difference between a boy and a girl Uh, these are going to now be the new alt lifestyle if you will but those differences I think are going to become more and more pronounced. And I think because they're going to become more and more pronounced, Christians have a unique opportunity to be able to speak into things that are, you know, fundamentally against the the historic Christian worldview. I think what's sad is that I think we'll see probably more and more churches that lean the other way. Yeah. And so really making those of us who uphold a historic Christian worldview, I feel like in the minority. Yeah. Very good. All right. Keep uh, jumping onto the chat with us. We're going to play the second half of our interview with Ann Polk from the Restored Hope Network. And then we're going to come back for more of your questions. So just keep talking to us in the chat. All right. Here we go. Part two. Now, you guys both brought up the issue of Christianity and, you know, scripture, theology and all that. I have a lot of friends on my feed who were like, well, you know, if you really want to love people, then you will be behind the Equality Act. Or, you know, Jesus treats everyone equally. He loves everyone equally. So this is why Christians should get behind the Equality Act. But is the Equality Act really about equality? In my mind, it is not. It seems to be an attempt to punish those who have won in Supreme Court cases, like the situation with Jack Phillips, the cake baker in Colorado, where I happen to be. Um, He's gone to the Supreme Court multiple times, and there's anti-religious animus in the punishing of this simple, uh, kind, faith-based custom cake designer. Somebody wants to punish him. Recently, he was asked to do a, a trans reveal cake, a custom trans reveal cake, and he declined that based upon his faith. And as a result, it is again, again, for the third time going to the U.S. Supreme Court for a decision. So what we're seeing is punitive efforts on the, on the part of those who are LGBT activists 
who would love to have this weaponized and be able to make a case that says, your religious freedoms don't matter. We're going to say that a Religious Freedom Restoration Act has no impact on the outcome of cases related to this topic. So in that, in that way, there's not a balancing of, of rights of the person. Uh, there's an imposition on the other individuals who may disagree with doing an out, a coming out cake or a celebrating of a, a teenager who had her breasts removed to appear to be a male. Um, and saying that would be considered homophobic, bigoted, and it is currently, but it's not weaponized. I mean, you live in California, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So then instead of it being more of a thing that's about equality, truly, it's more about, you would say, the the worldview and the the implications of holding a specific worldview. So if you hold a more of a Christian worldview or world, worldview that says we don't say this or we don't lie about someone's sex or, you know, I'm not going to bake a cake for a transgender, you know, wedding or something like that, then the the implications of that would be punishment or um, retribution. Right. And currently, cancel culture is hitting a whole bunch of people. It's hitting Jeffrey uh, McCall of Freedom March. He's had his um, uh, fundraising software account removed, uh, canceled. Uh, Restored Hope has had their Facebook page uh, removed just overnight, just gone. No wow. appeal process, no chance of making And you've a had your book, there. one of your books, I think, removed from Amazon. You've been banned That's from right. Amazon. We're having Jeffrey McCall on the show in a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, this from, is no longer, from, yes. this is no longer on Amazon, but you can get it everywhere else. <laughs> happily. <Wow>. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put so, a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's great. So thoughtful. that's, and uh, I think, What's important for people to understand is that by amending the Civil Rights Act, this when when Anne talks about it becoming weaponized, it's it really becomes now a legal issue. It's not just a free speech issue of like you and I can be in the same room and we can disagree or we can be in a college classroom and have a vigorous debate. Now we're going to say if you say certain things that there could be legal consequences yes. to that, that that kind of really changes the nature of things. I'm wondering what uh, you see as being some of the potential impact for like nonprofit ministries mm -hmm. like us or churches. Uh, you know, if they're going to try to amend the Civil Rights Act, would that have impact on issues related to hiring or even church membership? Well, they have actually specifically mentioned not churches, uh, but they've made accommodations enormous in this bill. Um, I don't have the bill right in front of me, unfortunately. I have it on my computer. <laughs> so I will uh, try and remember it exactly. But seriously, Seth, um, it would impact banking. It would impact um, any form of accommodations at all, meaning places to be, entertainment venues, gym locker rooms, school locker rooms, um, anything that provides health care. And in that, it includes um, abortion rights through a very uh, obscure language that they chose to use, but incorporated it or in the actual bill, not abortion, but medically related rights uh, based on all these other 
practices. So it would actually force potentially a Christian uh, hospital, a doctor, nurse, um, training for um, Christian schools, et cetera, to learn how to do trans medicine and force trans medicine or accommodations within a Christian school, uh, dormitory, um, a, per, a male who identifies as a female demands that they're housed with another woman in the girl's dorm and uh, they would have legal rights to demand that and take it, take the school to court. Um, same thing in reverse. It's not just men defining themselves as, as women, but if a woman defines herself as a man and demands going, uh, being admitted to a, a male dorm at a university, Christian university, that would be impacted. Many of the uh, pastors I've talked to, though, say, I don't need to worry about the Equality Act because there are religious exemptions. America has had these religious exemptions. And so the feedback I keep getting when I ask pastors about, you know, what are you doing now to prepare your your congregants and your church structures for the Equality Act? Should it pass? They're like, oh, we don't need to worry about that. Mm -hmm. And oh, so yes, I'm wondering, you will. Bathrooms and everything else. Oh, yes, you will. But do you think that people would like intentionally try and get into like a Christian university under this guise of being like right and, you know, right wing and things Sub like subverting that? Subverting the system. Yeah, to subvert Amazing the system. Amazing you should say that. <laughs> Recently, there's a there's a compromise bill that the some Christians are working on to produce you know, Mormons and Christians and a whole bunch of other religious groups are trying to come up with one. Oh, is this the Utah for all right? Utah compromise or something? Yeah, it's similar to that, but on a federal level, they've okay. been working on this for a couple of years. I'm aware of, um, they have been working for months with gay activists and Christian leaders to come up with something that everybody can agree on. And what they've done is they've narrowed down or carved out space of the First Amendment for specific groups or individuals. And so not individuals, actually, it would just be religious organizations. And of course, with uh, legal advice behind the scenes from Christian colleges and other colleges, um, it would, of course, protect those uh, entities, right? But it would carve away many of the religious freedoms that are already part of the First Amendment. So anyway, based on that, though, and the fact that the gay activists didn't like fairness for all and the exemption of religious institutions in Title IX, uh, a story came out recently about, I shouldn't put it that way, you can't see it, 25 faith-based schools named in the LGBTQ discrimination case against the Department of Education. That was filed, I believe, yesterday. Um, so 30 individuals, I'm uh, around 30 individuals, have put their name into a class action lawsuit against the Department of Education, asking for them to remove the exclusion of Title IX and religious exemption. Uh, so the very people who are trying to carve out fairness for all are the one being penalized potentially by this lawsuit that was just filed. So believe me, these folks aren't looking for uh, live and let live. They're looking for, we wanna punish you if you don't affirm homosexuality or transgenderism. If you differ, disagree, or hold a viewpoint that considers homosexuality sin, that alone is enough to ask for 
well, on the international stage, um, reparations. Seriously, that's, that's the direction that this entire movement is moving towards. Uh, Richter, Victor Borlo's, uh, Madrigal Borlo's, I think is his name. He's the, uh, out of Costa Rica, he's the expert for the UN Commission. Um, he's a gay man and he's gone to gay groups around the world coming up with ideas and um, situations that they feel they want to rectify. One of which saying, if you believe that homosexuality or transgenderism is what he would call transgressive in any, in, in any form, then potentially you could be guilty of, you know, hate crimes, one, for disagreement. We're not talking about horrific things being done. We're talking about simple disagreement with a philosophy and an ideology. Um, so disagreement won't be tolerated and disagreement can be penalized potentially with um, lawsuits that you'll have to pay if you call it same-sex uh, actions or behavior, sin. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're talking about excluding whole portions of scripture. We're looking at, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of them that talk about the appropriate use of human sexuality, number one, and number two, that talk about homosexual behavior or as a man lies with a man, um, that that's what God considers an abomination. Um, and so what it is truly is it brings down the value of the human beings who are involved in such actions. And that's what offends God. What offends God is the fact that sin mars the image of God in us. And our value is so high that as we play with these things and destroy them, that makes God very upset. What he created in each one of us is so unique, so incredibly precious, so worth his, his love and affection that as we destroy ourselves in any way, shape, or form in the image that he has in mind for us, uh, there are consequences. And um, those consequences are meant to lead us into repentance, lead us into relationship to him and in alignment with his word and his original intent that's written in our own bodies. Um, so anyway, that's, that's one, of the, one of the big problems. People are trying to find ways in the Christian world to have compromise so that they can um, be blessed by the community that wants to curse them. And that's fascinating to me and rather sad. Um, wow, that's, that's deep, that they want to be blessed by the community that wants to curse them. And I think that, you know, that intermixing is a lot of what we see and why we encourage people, you know, to take a biblical stand because culture really has nothing for you. So I'm wondering when we think about the Equality Act, because one of the things that you you mentioned earlier is about the whole locker room situation and, and that kind of thing. But I've heard that the Equality Act could really impact women's sports, that even like Martina Navratilova, who's not exactly a conservative. No, I mean, she's a lesbian. She's an active lesbian. <laughs> and yeah, uh, and she's an incredible uh, or was an incredible tennis player. Yes. But she has, with she's the USOC. She's yeah. expressed some very real concerns about the Equality Act, that it could it could really impact women's sports we fought so hard for for women's sports and for c 
competitive ideas, but this could really uh, change that. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit. You know, it's so ironic that not long ago we were talking about doping of, of famous bicyclists yes. who were trying to win races, right? And got caught and removed and, and the award taken away from. And now we're talking about biological boys or men who may or may not have gone through puberty, but have had the markers in their system towards stronger bones, larger lungs, uh, larger even nasal area so that they can actually breathe air more effectively, larger lungs, um, bone structure being, and I think I mentioned that already, but their bones are essentially more dense than female bones. And yet we're saying that if a guy who is formerly identified as a guy now identifies as a girl, that must be a girl. Therefore, they're allowed into female competition. So an average male athlete on the international stage or national or local stage can easily take um, the top awards from girls. We're talking scholarships. We're talking all sorts of things. It essentially decimates female sports. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've probably seen news stories where uh, a, someone who identified as a female was doing wrestling and knocked out and gave mm -hmm. uh, a brain hematoma, which is a, a, a bruise in the brain, to a female competitor in the wrestling area. And we're talking about this is dangerous physically in combat sports or in some kind of competitive sports. Um, it also in track Men have longer limbs generally, and with larger lungs and more fast twitch muscles. We're talking most of the sprinting races are gonna be won by otherwise known biologically um, created men who now identify as women. And so that's, that decimates women's sports. Yeah, I, and I think that I'm glad for Martina's bravery in speaking out and, you know, that's, that's an interesting voice out mm -hmm. there. Of, of it just, is. She's not alone now. Yeah. A lot more. Many and, more have spoken. What about I, J.K. Rowling? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, and I'm wondering, like, how long is it until we start seeing malpractice lawsuits coming forward against medical doctors performing some of these trans surgeries mm. and people having regret yeah. and wanting to retransition back mm -hmm. but they've lost some critical anatomy like i'm i'm wondering how long there's i mean is, until can we you have imagine those being 14 you know at 14 i decided that i want to you know have my breast removed or i want to have a you know an anatomy removed or added or you know whatever and now here i am my brain is fully formed and my decision making is different and more developed now here i am at you know 26 and i'm like you know at 14 that wasn't the best idea you know i, I made some decisions at 14 and now that i'm i wasn't older, real I'm like, bright at 14 at 14 it wasn't the best idea so now what what kind of protection is there going to be for doctors or should they you know get ready to be sued because i would sue you i'd be like yeah, what was you thinking I, I mean that's just a question i have is are we are start... being, uh in uk there's one uh, really there's sued the tavistock center wow yeah. kiera bell she at 16 said she wanted all these transitions at at 22, she said, wow, that was the wrong decision. You should have never let me go there. 
And can so I what you're saying, ladies, like, is yeah, in like, play. I wonder if there's going to be parent lawsuits. Yeah, be, well, you know? I mean, when we're looking at child studies and looking at children as being an oppressed group and what that means or the implications for that in mm. regards to some of these things, you know, children will, I think, eventually be able to sue to be able to get the, the freedom to have these surgeries without their parents' consent. Or, you know, acts will pass where they don't need to sue. It's just like, hey, this isn't your right to tell me what to do. But I'm 13. You know, so now that I'm 25, do I get to come back to you? Like, whose fault is it going to be in the end? It, I don't know that it can be the child's fault because they're not developed enough to make that decision. Well, speaking of that, now I've heard conflicting things about whether the Equality Act will actually allow children to transition without their parents' consent. Lin Linda Seiler, I saw got fact checked by the Facebook fact checkers for for posting that. Mm. And they, they said, no, this isn't true. The Equality Act doesn't say this. So I, I'm, a, I, I'm sorry, Facebook, I'm a little skeptical of your fact checkers. So I'm just wondering, like, do you have any insight into what provisions are actually in the Equality Act about this issue? It actually doesn't mention minors in the okay. Equality Act. It just mentions sexual identity and gender, uh, sexual orientation and gender identity being added to Civil Rights Act. Does civil rights impact all ages though, don't they? I mean, you don't say to a youth who's African-American or who's Asian, sorry, you don't have civil rights until you're 18. So truly it could impact minors. It's not implied directly, but it wouldn't be the hardest jump to jump there. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So even because we could say that, well, the Civil Rights Act doesn't doesn't include my doesn't mention minors, but it but if you call includes them a child out their name based on the color of their skin. That's yeah. still, you know, an, a civil rights issue. Yeah. Right. So that's interesting. You know, I have a question. Yeah. Yeah. When the, or what is the conversation around any kind of hope for nonprofits, churches, like yeah. groups that could be impacted by this? Is there any kind of, you know, hope or conversation before this thing? Or what we potentially provisions we should step yeah, should like what, what should we be doing now? The Equality Act actually says that religious exemption is irrelevant. In fact, it says that is not a reason to be able to be discriminate against somebody or an idea. Um, and so at this point, it looks as if it would impact everybody's First Amendment rights. Of course, I do know that if this passes, it will immediately be um, sent to, uh, it will be brought to courts, it will make its way up to the US Supreme Court. There are many, many cases that are currently or have recently been won that would be challenged by the bill should it should it go up there. There have already been rulings on it. So uh, balancing the actual First Amendment um, would be significant. What would be the outcome of this? We don't know. I mean, we can't presume that churches, even those that have the most um, constitutional protections, would be exempted from this. Um, and so, in fact, they specifically said that the RIFRA Act would not be uh, reason, it would, would have no basis uh, on these topics. So it would be subsumed. So about um, eight years ago, no, probably six years ago, in the EEOC, which is the Employment 
Opportunity Commission, Equal Opportunity Commission, and I'm not saying it correctly, but you get the gist of it. It's the National Employment Oversight Commission. Um, uh, a lady on that, a lesbian, um, said that when religious freedoms and LGBT identity come head to head on some topic, it should always be the case that the LGBT community wins in that situation. Well, mm. the Equality Act would put that into place. And so it would impact employment for sure. Um, yes, you'd have to fight back for every single freedom that is traditionally part of the First Amendment. Yes, that can be done. Yes, there will be lawsuits filed, no question. But undoing this massive modification of the civil rights code would be very difficult to do and have to be won over a long haul. Meanwhile, kids would be funneled towards uh, trans medicine, trans identity would be affirmed, it would be weaponized against parents, kids could be removed from their parents' homes if the kids claim to be trans and their parents don't affirm that. It's already happening in the US, it's happening outside the US. And now we're talking about all of that embedded into one bill. It's a, it's a very dangerous bill. Now, I, as of right now, I don't think they have quite enough votes in the Senate to push this through. It's passed the House. Mm -hmm. Biden has said that he will sign it um, if it comes to him. So what's standing between the passage of the Equality Act and, and the non-passage is, is a few votes in the Senate. So people should probably, um, you know, be informed about their senators and if some of those senators that are sort of on the bubble, you know, they want to be reaching out to them to let them know about your position mm -hmm. of what, you know, wherever you are. Yeah. So I think um, this is that that time when I say you can use your voice, your vote and your dollar. This is the time where you can use your voice and your vote. You yeah. can potentially use your dollar, too. <laughs> but, you know, we can actually, you know, work to make our voice known about what we do and do not want. Yeah. And I want to make sure, Anne, that people get resourced again with the Restored Hope Network. Uh, tell us a little bit about your annual conference that's that's coming. We're going to do it online so you could join us from anywhere in the world. Hope 2021 online. And uh, having Alex McFarlane, who's an apologetics worldview speaker, and uh, Dr. Nancy Haish, who's a psychologist and also uh, had a daughter who identified as lesbian for a while. And um, her, ex her husband passed away from AIDS. She learned when he was dying that he had been living a double life. So she knows um, what it's like to minister to the people who have really grappled with some hard things. Hmm. She's being brought in to minister to families. Um, and so Andrew Kamitsky from Desert Stream Ministries, who founded Living Waters, um, he will be uh, speaking to us from Europe, actually, um, speaking with leaders in Europe, religious leaders there. So anybody this is a conference for yeah. anybody, like people who are just wanting to learn more about, you know, a biblically faithful model related to sexuality and uh, good for pastors uh, maybe yes. parents whose children are struggling with these issues right. or people who are struggling themselves getting resource, right. resourced and teached. Right. And we will be having um, 
I'm so thrilled to be having Dr. Andre Von Moll. Um, he's with the Christian Medical and Dental Association talking about trans medicine and the dangers of some of those aspects. He'll be talking in detail about that on Saturday. Um, and we'll have guest visitors throughout the day, which will be really fun. A lot of personal testimonies of people leaving the LGBT life in favor of Jesus and what he did to draw them along into wholeness. And um, I didn't mention to your listeners, uh, you know my story a little bit, Krista, because you followed me for a while, yeah. but I left homosexuality myself. I, you know, I was 20 something and God got a hold of me um, when I was in my sophomore year at UC Santa Barbara and I, I came into a relationship with Jesus, but it took years walking out um, that discipleship relationship and other people supporting me along the way that I began to feel good about myself as a woman and found myself attracted to a particular man and uh, ended up getting married and having three kids and so on uh, and haven't looked back. Um, on occasion, I've struggled through the years, particularly when my marriage was having a hard time, but um, Jesus has always been faithful. He's walked forward with me. And that's how this book came about in the first place. It was just mm -hmm. trying to support other people walking out that would want to have help and don't have a ministry around them. So that's why I'm in the role that I'm in is because of my personal life story. Go get connected with Ann Paul and the Restored Hope Network and all the good work that they are doing and look at their uh, connections of other ministries trying to promote biblically faithful views on sexuality. So yeah. thank you. Thanks. All right. We back. Yes. Hope you enjoyed that second segment. We're going to go right to some questions. Yeah. We some have good ones. a question on the center for biblical unity, Facebook page. Emily says, since there are verses that directly address these issues, will the equality act eventually lead to banning the Bible? Does the equality act consider written materials as illegal? I don't believe so in it, the illegal part. I, I think that we're, like we mentioned in the interview, we're already in an era of censorship, censorship. which mm -hmm. is different than book banning or making them illegal. Yeah, I think more of what we'll see is a lot of canceling. Yeah. And I, I think we see this in progressive streams where, yeah. you know, this scripture isn't taken seriously or, you know, we don't need to listen to the words of Paul. It's only the words of Jesus and, you know, things like that. So I'm not sure. I mean, eventually, maybe they could get to the point of saying, hey, we don't allow the Bible here. But I think that'd be a long way off. I do yeah. think I, what I, we see now is... Barn, not Barnes and Noble, um, Amazon yeah. pulling books off shelves. Exactly. Yeah. Um, like Anne mentioned in the interview, one of her books is no longer available on mm -hmm. Amazon. Um, we had another book mentioned in, in the chat that's no longer on Amazon. So the censorship is already emerging in this area. But I think that what I think is going to happen more than more likely than banning the Bible is that there's there are going to be or and they're already emerging two different kinds of Christianity. Mm -hmm. There's going to be what Monique and I call historic Christianity. Uh, and Paul called it biblically faithful mm -hmm. Christianity. And then there's going to be what I call kind of the state approved version. Our friend Elisa Childers called it calls it progressive Christianity where you engage in this kind of revisionism mm -hmm. of the Bible. So I don't think the Bible itself would be banned. It'll just be in reinterpreted through this revisionist lens. Yes. Okay, let's go to YouTube. 
There was a question from Rachel. How might this affect small K to 12 private Christian schools? So very important question, Rachel. Um, it will definitely affect them because the, the critical thing you have to understand about the Equality Act is that the the traditional what what Ann Paul called the RIFRA, um, the religious exemptions that schools and seminaries and Christian colleges and churches have have benefited from this like religious exemption rule um, that will no longer apply. Mm -hmm. So it is going to affect uh, potentially not just Christian private Christian schools, but Christian colleges could lose like federal funding through scholarships. There, it, it's hard to know exactly how long those tentacles can be. Yeah. But again, the courts will probably have to decide all that should the Equality Act pass. But there's definitely um, that as a possibility. Uh, that's not an unrealistic. In fact, it's probably quite realistic that schools could be affected. While we're still on YouTube, can we go down to Candy's comment? Yeah. Um, she says... It's toward the bottom. It's at the bottom, yeah. Yeah. Why does it feel like... Oops, sorry. We're not there yet. Didn't there we need go. to rush. Why does it feel like only evangelicals, Catholics are speaking out about this? Are there any Muslims who are speaking out as well? The left tends to give them an ear. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I Yeah, I don't know, Candy. That, that is a good question. Uh, I know that the Mormons have been working on this... Uh, I called it in the interview, the Utah Compromise, which mm -hmm. is like the state version of kind of the Fairness for All Act. But there is sort of a federal version of that, that the Mormon church has been trying to spearhead to try to find this compromise position. But um, I don't, maybe one of our moderators can find the article from the Heritage Council oh, yeah. that talks about like there's there are some potential problems with the Fairness for All Act as well. So. It's a I think that that's the ideal world is of um, finding some kind of middle ground where we can coexist together of having our different beliefs, but figuring out a way to protect free speech for all yeah. and allowing differences of opinion and not weaponizing speech. Yeah. That would be the ideal situation. All right. Heading over to Theology Mom's Facebook page. Carol Yates says, I am really wondering how this is going to affect child abuse laws. Mandated reporters are a very wide swath of American society. We, well, I'm sorry, will we have conscious rights? Will MFTs be able to try to help parents and a child who is questioning um, heal a relationship, especially since we have already seen how the conversion therapy story has gone. That was what yeah, yeah. mentioned like, oh, conversion therapy. It's that's the, well, the beginning of that conversation. First of all, maybe you can tell us what a mandated reporter is. So a mandated reporter is someone who is mandated by or by law. They have to report abuse. Okay. So if I work with children, I can I would like be a mandated reporter. So is that like teachers? teachers, pastors, like kids, pastors, people who work in group homes, social service workers, therapists. OK. Um, yeah. So if a child discloses abuse, mm -hmm. then they are mandated to report it to the 
government to the the governing bodies, okay. the authorities, um, okay. child protective services. And there could potentially be an investigation and yeah. that sort of a thing. Okay, mm-hmm. so then. I think what Carol, one of the things that Carol's asking is if she's, and I'm pretty sure Carol's a MFD, uh, and that's why she's asking this, is uh, that if a child discloses that they're having same-sex attraction struggles, but that the parents want to kind of help them deal with that, I mean, that's the very tricky land of dealing with a minor, Um, and you know, I don't like um, Anne said in the interview, the bill doesn't directly address minors, but it's not difficult to see how it would apply to minors. Um, so give us a little bit more information from a critical theory standpoint about child studies. You made a few brief comments in the interview, but I think we should unpack that some more because that directly relates to Carol's question is what is child studies? Cause that might be new for a lot of people. And I'm not an expert on child studies. So I'm going to yeah. say that just at, out the gate, but child studies would look at children as an oppressed people and adults or parents potentially as the oppressors. And so how do we now liberate children? How do we bring them out from being under their oppressors to give them choice voice? Um, and, those things, things like choice and voice would be different based on the person that you're talking to. You know, how much voice and choice should a nine-year-old have? Not trying to tell you, you know, you can't choose your socks and pajamas, but I don't know that you need to choose the house I live in. You know what I mean? So there are things where we need to really thread out, like as a child, how much freedom and and room am I giving this child to be able to exercise? How much agency does a nine-year-old have need, you know, like, or has the ability to carry out? And does a nine-year-old have enough agency in this conversation to want to undergo um, hormone suppression therapy Mm -hmm. or gender transition. And the question that I was asking in the interview is, you know, at what point does even allowing a child to do that, like 20, 30 years from now, is that going to be looked on as child abuse? Like, why did you allow a nine-year-old to make these decisions? But yet, according to child studies, I can easily conceive of how a nine-year-old would actually be empowered mm-hmm. to to make such a, a radical life decision. I mean, I don't know if it was um, Boston University. A couple of years ago, um, one of the, the major schools back east came out with this article and it looked at children as oppressed groups. And it talked about things like homeschooling, religion, um, Christianity specifically. Like these are things that oppress children that parents put on children. They don't really have have a say around. And so, you know, I hear you when you're like in in the coming years, taking certain things or um, ideologies out of a child's life that actually, I think statistically you can prove help to have adults and older children have better lives. What does that mean for, you know, 20 or 30 years from now? Yeah. I think um, it's, this is going to get very difficult. Rakita says on uh, CFBU Facebook, um, she says, you know, we as believers need to be prepared to support our own. Yes. You know, our own Christian schools, our business owners, our organizations. 
But I think too, like that, because someone mentioned about um, like who, what Christians are doing something or what can we do? And I'm just like, you know, I think that a lot of us, I'll, I'll bit my tongue, sorry. A lot of us are comfortable, you know, at what point, like I, this harkens me back to that whole Disney thing with, um, what's her name? Um, Gina, Gina Carano. Gina Carano. You know, when they fired her, how many Christians like left their Disney, you know, subscription and was like, you know, this isn't right. We don't support that. When Amazon starts canceling Christian book writers, or Christian authors, book writers, Christian authors, and, you know, things that are specifically you know, true, according to the historic Christian yeah. worldview, when do we say no? Yeah. I just, I don't know that, that we're serious enough yet. Yeah. Might think, be a hard word. Sorry, friends. I think a lot of people are like, well, it's not affecting me. There was a couple of comments to that effect that I saw. It's like, well, this still seems a long ways off for me. This won't affect me for a long time. I'm not sure that that's the right mindset. It's not because when it comes for you, there's no, there's not going to be anyone else to stand for you. Yeah. You're going to be left alone. And so, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, I'm at the end of the line so I can do what I want to do because I'm back here. But then when they pluck off everybody else who's before you, when they come to you, nobody's going to have your back. Like nobody's going to be there. And it's like, you know, as Christians, I, I honestly think that we need to prepare. We need to, and this isn't like to, to instill fear, but we do need to prepare and choose how we spend our money. It's like, Mm, and I'm guilty, like guilty is charged too. You know, when I go to, to give Amazon my money, am I really just giving it to someone who, as she said in the interview, you know, am I, am I almost seeking to be liked by the culture that wants to curse me? Yeah. I thought that was profound. Like here I am giving my money to the entity that really wants to cancel my faith. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, JM, I don't know if it's J money. I don't know who that is. No, Jay Money was Facebook. Oh, okay. And I think her name uh, was Amanda. Says, the issue of telling parents is a huge dis- discussion among teachers right now. Alabama has had uh, legislation on the table that will require teachers to report if students are saying they are trans. I mean, and that really, I think we're going to have a big cultural conversation on parent rights versus mm-hmm. child rights. Yeah. Can Can a nine-year-old who discloses to their teacher that they want to be trans what is the obligation? Does the, does the teacher go along with it? Do they have to reinforce it or do they tell the parents? Um, yeah. Well, we have like three people in there who's like, we left Disney plus go ahead. Y'all go ahead. I'm telling you your voice, your vote and your dollar. That's where it is. Like if we serious, then, then be serious. If critical theory, uh, is, has been the driving train of this whole movement to redefine what a right is, then Christians need to diligently train their children and stop supporting godless organizations. I hear you. Critical theory is becoming the arbiter of truth and good. Yes. What I mean, yeah. what's good, true and beautiful critical theory. That is the, the defining line. It is the plumb line. Scripture is no longer the plumb line. Yeah. And I remember you and I having those conversations early on where I kept asking you who decides by what standard is something good, true or beautiful. And it, it took several conversations before that started clicking in your head of, oh, wait, yeah, who does decide that? Mm-hmm. And it, it took a little while for the worldview implications to click in. But once it did and you latched onto that, you're like, OK, now I get this, you know, this standard issue. So, you know, encourage people to ask that question because the culture is coming into many of our churches and telling us 
what is true, what is good, what is right, what is holy. That is true. You know, and uh, this is way off, but I wonder, like with the whole worldview conversations, how many Christians completely understand the Christian worldview? <laughs> and if we aren't catechizing in in church truly, how are we expected to understand what it means to be a Christian and yeah. what we stand for. And how do we look in the scripture and understand what is good, true and beautiful? Because many times you can open up the word, read something in Jeremiah, read something in James, read something here and there. And it's like, well, what is good, true and beautiful about this? Yeah. If we don't, and how does it all fit together? Yes. Yeah. Yes. If we don't understand that, then I feel like it doesn't matter if I'm here and trying to believe I'm, I still have the possibility of getting thrown because I don't, I don't know. Well, that's what we're doing here every week, uh, just to help all of you think more deeply about the Christian worldview and how it connects to the cultural conversations that we're having. Our hope is that you'll get your, um, that you'll be able to translate this into your parenting, uh, maybe even watch the show with your older kids and use it as a discussion point. All right, we're going to hear from our second sponsor, Right now, Impact 360. Big shout out to our friends at Impact 360 and the work they're doing with young people. They have different programs all the way from like a two-week summer kind of camp program for teens to gap year programs to a master's program. It focuses on worldview and making sure that you are grounded, that young people are truly grounded in their worldview. Yeah. So if you... Go ahead. No, I just think it's a perfect adjunct to what we're Mm -hmm. saying here is... You know, a lot of what we do on the show is worldview education and Impact 360 is a perfect partnership for us Mm -hmm. in helping our our young people have those tools Uh, because it's going to it's more important than ever that that Christian young people understand what does it really mean to be a Christian? Yes. So So if you have a young person who you would like to either do maybe a two week summer intensive or a gap year, check out impact 360 on the application. You can put in all the things and have your application fee waived. That's right. Okay. Now it's time for the tweet of the week. Here we are. It's a very special tweet this week. You know, my favorite Twitter person, Neil Shenvey. I thought I was your favorite Twitter person. Well, it's sort of related to you as well. Oh. I spoke words over whites that Christ would never speak over me. Critical race theory made it nearly impossible to see white people as beloved image bearers whom Christ died to redeem. The real Monique D. That was written by me. That's in... My friend Thaddeus Williams' um, book, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. So tell us a little bit about what you were thinking when you when you wrote that. I was just telling a bit of my story as being someone who came out of critical race theory as a framework worldview. To me, it functioned as a worldview. And the I, the fact that, you know, critical race theory says that it's really trying to get rid of racism. And, you know, that's part of Ibram Kendi's thing. We need to be anti-racist so that, you know, there's not racism or things like that. But um, it gave me the freedom to talk about white people any kind of way, you know, and my friends, we could we could get gather around because, well, these things are just true. You know how fragile Sally is. You didn't tell jokes about white people, did you? All the time. I'm quite funny. 
But I, I mean, I honestly could joke about anybody's ethnicity. I just, you know, I call myself an equal opportunity racist. It, it was, it are was you, bad. Are you a fallen human? I am a fallen, fallen human, sinfully, sinfully. Jesus human. redeeming. Yes. But, um, you know, that's just the reality is that I could speak things over people that Christ would never speak over me. And But did you kind of excuse it or like, what was the story? I never thought about it. Was, there was nothing to excuse. Okay. It was just truth. You know, I, I mean, that's that's the reality. And I, I like snicker about it now, but it was just the place that I lived from. Like, you know how white people are like and I could just say this without any kind of like batting of my eyelash and not even thinking like, well, you know, you are a human individual person, you know, and this person is human and individual. You're not monolithic. Like I don't have to group everyone together, but because critical race theory groups people into their tribes, their, their tribal groups. When I say something about one, I can say it about them all. White people are this way. Yeah. So, how what were what do you think was this a, took a quick turn the other way i wasn't expecting this oh sorry yeah go ahead um for you like what was the the moment of insight where you thought you know maybe i should rethink this maybe i shouldn't joke this way i still think everybody does something dumb and funny <laughs> I, I i'm just gonna be honest like i can yeah um the one of the pivotal moments i think was my intern, and I, I tell this story a lot, was so my intern when she came into work crying about just how she was being treated. I mean, like it was it was a lot of tears. Um, and then our conversation we had upstairs and then me going to my room and being like so upset and praying that the Lord would open your eyes to social justice. <laughs> Jesus, please show her her whiteness. Please, Lord. Um, Jesus said, told and, you something. Yeah, like that I need actually needed to repent from, you know, from this social justice narrative. And it was I never thought that I needed to repent from from critical race theory. Mm. That was that was way down the line, way later. It, I just thought it was social justice. And I was like, well, what you know, like why I was I wasn't sure. Like when I felt the Lord was was telling me to repent, I had no idea like why, what I just felt something like in my heart, like mm, this might not like no. <laughs> But he like later going through scripture and walking it out and, and a lot of prayer, like it was a lot of prayer. It wasn't just like a yeah. one and done. Hey, we're good. It was a lot of prayer. I'm stubborn. So it took a lot of like fighting. Um, but yeah, I think there were there were a couple of, of moments and there's still moments like yeah. things that happen today where I'm like, oh, you know what? This is why I'm not going to ever go back to that. That's interesting because I think we all struggle with this. That's why I, I was glad that Neil tweeted it out, because I think it's. It's such a call to holiness for all of us to speak truth over one another, you know, as image bearers. It's so easy to fall into the the joking and the name calling. And I think that your insight, I just love that quote, uh, because it it calls all of us to become more Christ-like. And if we're really going to love our neighbor as an image bearer, we will want our speech to reflect the speech of heaven um, over mm-hmm. one another. And so it's just such a great, great quote. On YouTube, Candy says, so true. This is pretty common amongst black folks, I think. Sometimes it's a light, it's, sometimes it's lighthearted and funny, and other times it's just hurtful. 
just had a funny convo with my family today that we would never know anything about nature if it weren't for white people. That's true. Cause like, I'm not going into nature. Anything I need to know about <laughs> nature, the woods, dirt, lizards, all that, that that's not coming from She doesn't want to go camping No, anything us. I need. If I read a book about camping, I know it's written, written by a white person. That's, that's just. There's nobody named Jamal on the trail. You ain't right. <laughs> um, but I'm sure, you know what? People trying to um, decolonize hiking. Have you seen that? Yeah. 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 Cause get outside it's good it's fun okay so there's a couple comments on on uh, youtube bob if you could scroll up to uh eula's comment uh while we're looking for it i'm gonna say the woods are not fun it's just she doesn't like bugs no it's nasty americans are for uh the most tolerant people christian eula is greek Mm -hmm. if i remembering right and she also works in the mental health profession uh, Christians have learned to be nice rather than influencing culture. We Come see- on, Eula. <laughs> Where see- my fan at? We see today the exact opposite of the first century church in the book of Acts. Eula. Yes. Yes. Christians have learned to be nice. Who said that that was the 11th commandment? Vody. Come on, Eula. Yes, girl. Yes. Yes. I- I'm- and maybe it's just because I'm not always nice. <laughs> that I'm a, I'm a fan of not being nice. But it's true. Like, we, we have to understand, like, how do we draw a line? That don't mean you got to be, like you say, a jerk for Jesus. But you can, you know, live in truth. Yeah, you're going to have to speak up. This is just where we are uh, as a nation. Uh, if you can scroll up a little bit more on YouTube, Bob, to engage truth's comment with Scott Allen. There's a great quote there that I want to get on the... A lot of quotes. Yeah. Keep going. It's up to, it says, Scott Allen says. It's a little bit above Eula's comment. Scott Allen, which uh, is the author of the book, Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice, says, if the church fails to disciple the nations, the nations will disciple the church. Yes, I'm actually excited because Scott Allen, sneak peek for all you guys listening, um, Scott Allen's going to speak at the UP conference. Whoop, whoop, yes. Our theme yes. for the UP conference this year is going to be justice. Mm-hmm. And Scott Allen is going to be one of our plenary speakers. And we're going to also have him as a guest on the show soon. Yes. And Candy says, wait a minute, where did, where did it go? She said, it's on, YouTube, it's on YouTube. I've been camping several times. It is pretty fun. I'm breaking that stereotype. Girl, go ahead. Let me find out. I'm going to hide under the table if they want me to camp. I can't camp. I can't swim. No, I don't swim. No, don't put me near water. If it's not a shower, I can't do it. No, no, no. Mm -mm. And yes, it is about my hair. You've got to get out in the woods with the right people, Trisha says. Someone that's driven and will help you get to a peak. A peak of what? The mountain? The mountain. No, because that means I got to hike. I don't like to sweat. No, (laughs) no. I just learned to swim age 30. You know what? I might need to learn too. Candy's she's inspirational. She could, she could be a role model for you. You really could call me. Cause I, yeah, I don't know how you did it. I feel like I would need some kind of therapy, like some kind of immersion therapy or something. I don't know. I can the woods and swimming. No, I don't do that. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, friends, we that's our time. End. Yes. Thank you for joining us and spending your Saturday night with us. And Are we here next week? Yes. Okay, making sure. Join us next week. (laughs) We're going to be talking to Jeffrey McCall from the Freedom March. And uh, it's a wonderful organization. Kind of just sort of 
happenstance turned out we had three conversations in a row related to LGBT issues. But since it's not a topic we've covered before on the show, we're just kind of do it all in one all in one month. Yes. Yes. But um, it'll be a great conversation. Looking forward to talking to him. He's a former uh, trans uh, person. So uh, brother in Christ and is leading up this wonderful ministry called Freedom March. Awesome. Please go to the Center for Biblical Unity Facebook page and share our Reconcile curriculum announcement with your friends and family. Yes, please. We hope you have a happy and blessed Easter. Enjoy Resurrection Sunday. And he is risen. He is risen indeed. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.